Chapter Twenty of The Way of the Wind by Zoe Anderson Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Twenty. Cyclona had gone to Seth's dugout and found a note from him on the table. It contained few words, but they held a world of meaning. Simple words and few, tolling her knell of doom. I have gone to Celia, it read. Cyclona crushed the paper, flung it to the floor, and ran from the hole in the ground, afraid of she knew not what, engulfed in the awful fear which encompasses the hopeless, the fear of herself. She sprang to her saddle and urged her bronco on with heel and whip, upright as an Indian in her saddle, her face set, expressionless, in its marble-like immobility. She scarcely heeded the direction she took. She left that to her bronco, who sped into the heat of the dusty daylight, following hard in the footsteps of the wind. What she wished to do was to go straight to God, to stand before Him and ask Him questions. If within us earthworms there is the divine spark of the Deity, if we are in truth his sons and daughters, she reasoned, then we have some rights that this deity is bound to respect. What earthly father would knowingly permit his children to stumble blindly along dangerous pathways into dangerous places? What earthly father would demand that his children rush headlong into danger unquestioningly? What earthly father would create hearts only to crush them? Why had he thrust human beings onto this earth against their will, without their volition, to suffer the tortures of the damned? Why had he created this huge joke of an animal, part body, part soul, all nerves keen to catch at suffering, only to laugh at it? Why had he taken the pains to fashion this opera buffet of a world at all? Why had he made of it a slate upon which to draw lines of human beings, then wipe them aimlessly off, as would any child? For mere amusement after the manner of children? If not, then why? 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 She could have screamed out this why into the way of the wind. She wanted to ask him why he whirled body-clad souls out of the nowhere dragged them by the hair of their heads through ways thronged with thorns, then thrust them back again into the nowhere, to lie stone still in their chill-damp graves, in their straight grave clothes, awaiting his pleasure? Why had he seen fit to fashion some all-body and no soul? Why had he made others all-soul? Why had he created the Seths to weary for love of the Celia's, and the Cyclonas to eat out their hearts for love of the Seths. Some of these questions she had been wont to put to Seth, who had answered them as best he could in his patient way. There was a hidden meaning in it all, he had said, meaningless as it often seemed. Some meaning that would show itself in God's good time. We are uncut diamonds, was one of his explanations. We had much need of polishing before we could attain sufficient brilliancy to adorn a crown. We must have faith and hope, he had said. 
much faith and hope and patience. And above all, we must have the belief that it would all come out in the great white wash of eternity, in God's good time. But there were those who succumbed before God's good time, who would never know the explanation until they had passed into the beyond, where they would cease to care. She rode on and on, asking herself these questions, and finding no answer in the whirl and eddy of dust blown at her by the wind, in the limitless stretch of prairie, in the suffocating thickness of heat which enveloped the way of the wind. Intense heat, sultry, parching, enervating, sure precursor, if she had thought to remember, if she had been less engrossed in the bitterness of her questions, of a storm. Soon, aroused by the intensity of this heat, which burned like the blast from an oven, she whirled about and turned her bronco's head the other way. It was time, for that way lay her home, and danger threatened it. At the moment of her turning, a blast blew with trumpet-like warning into the day, blazing redly like a fire of logs quickened by panting breaths. A lurid light, like the light of Judgment Day or the wrath of God, spread while she looked. It enveloped her. It was as if she gazed upon earth and sky through a bit of bright, red-stained glass. In the southern skies, in the direction of her home, clouds piled high, black, threatening. Then she heard a rushing sound of wind, wailing, moaning, threshing, roaring sullenly in the distance. She spurred her bronco into the darkness lit by flashes of this lurid light. A flash of light. Then darkness, thick as purple velvet. Furiously she urged the animal forward into this horrible unknown, which had the look of the wrath of God come upon her for her doubting, pressed on by an innate feeling of affection for those who had befriended her, hurrying to their aid, spurred by an instinctive foreboding of impending evil in this awful, roaring, whirling, murderous sound of the wild winds gone suddenly stark mad. As she sped on, something swept past her with a great hoarse roar, distinguishable above the deafening roar of the wind. It was Seth's herd, stampeding, running with the wind and bellowing with fear. She winged her way into the terror of the darkness. Ready an hour before for death in any form, she now all at once found herself panting with fear of it gasping with a deadly fear of a ghastly fate, of being crushed and mangled, of dying by inches beneath some horrible weight, but this did not deter her. Afraid to breathe a prayer to the God whom she had dared to question, she winged her way breathlessly on and on. Then sheets of water, as if the skies had opened and emptied themselves, and a vivid flash of lightning, revealing the wind's wet wings, its wild whirling fingers dripping. Cyclona saw it coming in that flash, a fiendish thing apparently alive, copper-colored, funnel-shaped, ghastly. She threw herself forward on the neck of her bronco, grasping his mane. Then a blow from a great unseen hand out of the darkness struck them both, 
felling them. During the next few minutes of inky blackness, of indescribable terror, of flying missiles armed with death, Cyclona lay unconscious. When she opened her eyes, a calm light of the evenness of twilight had spread over the track of the cyclone, and her head lay pillowed on Hugh Walsingham's shoulder. Close beside her was a ragged bough, and her bronco lay dead nearby. The bough was the hand that had struck them out of the darkness, had thrown her to the sod and killed her animal. "'I came very near,' she sighed, "'to standing before God.' By and by, with Walsingham's help, she stood. "'Where is the house?' she asked, bewildered by the barrenness of the spot on which the topsy-turvy house had stood for so many years. "'It is gone,' said he. Cyclona pressed both hands to her face and rocked back and forth, sobbing. God had spared her, true, but he had offered her this delicate irony of leaving her homeless. Hugh looked moodily out over the place of the topsy-turvy house, his own mind a whirl with the maddening force of the furious winds through which he had passed. "'In Kansas,' said he, grimly, "'it is the wind that giveth, and the wind that taketh away.' Then, looking tenderly at the girl in his arms, he added softly, "'Blessed be the name of the wind!' End of chapter 20 Recording by Roger Moline